Hello and welcome to another InventRight webinar. We've got a great one for you tonight. Stephen, I'm really excited about having Laura on tonight. Are you? Well, I am because she's got a great product and she did all this herself and it's selling extremely well and she's the real deal. She's making it happen, Andrew. Yeah. So let's tell you a little bit about Laura. So Laura Hunter, she's the inventor of the world's first magnetic eyeliner and co-founder of Lash Liner Systems and Tori Bell Cosmetics, smash, which are smash hits in the beauty industry. In the past year, her new ventures have made over $50 million in revenue. Uh, the magnetic bond between Laura's eyeliner and false lashes actually gets stronger throughout the day, which is interesting. The lashes are reusable up to 30 times, and the magnetic eyeliner lasts a year, giving you approximately 60 uses. Laura's made hundreds of prototypes, to test her, it was fun playing with magnets, Laura. That'd be a fun <laughs> prototypes to make. Um, she made 100 prototypes and test and tested the, until she got her perf, perfect initial hypothesis and solved the frustration of lashes that just don't work. Laura is a former photographer and hair makeup artist for 25 years. In this webinar, she's going to explain what it took her to bring the invention to market and make it a run, runaway success, including manufacturing, Kickstarters, copycats, and more. She says. Do not stop. Do not give up. She's received tons of glowing press for her invention, including mentions in Good Morning America, LE, ABC News, BuzzFeed, and many more. And we're thrilled to have this unstoppable entrepreneur, Laura Hunter. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. You're really kind. <laughs> well, no, you, did, you did it. You did no. all this. Yeah, it's, now, it's been a whirlwind. Now, Laura, you're... You've taken a, an idea that you, you came up with. You, you've taken all, all the way from prototype to production. You're doing all that. But I want to start at the very beginning. Um, okay. Because a lot of inventors want to know, how did you come up with the idea? When was that aha moment that you go, hey, I, I've got something here? When, when did that happen and why? Um, it actually happened in my car. So uh, I'll give you a very brief history of what was going on in my life prior to that. Um, I actually had had two really, really bad knockdowns. Um, I was the victim of identity theft and the victim of fraud about a year before I invented the product. And so I was actually broke. Um, and I mean like broke, broke, everything I had was gone. And some of these things are still in court, by the way. But um, so it was kind of a low point. And I think sometimes when things aren't going well, you get you know, more frustrated than you normally would. And I decided to spend, you know, $17 on a, on a knockoff of Katie Stoka's invention, which is the sandwiching magnetic eyelashes. And at the time, had I known that they were knockoffs, I would never have bought them, by the way. Um, but so I went and bought them and I felt a little bad about it because I really couldn't afford to buy makeup and that kind of thing. But I did anyway, and they're non-refundable and I'm sitting in my car. And I'm trying to put them on because I was excited to do a little something extra for myself. And I could not get them on. And I was a hair and makeup artist for 25 years. So if I can't put on something that's makeup, like, it doesn't work, period. And I, I love Katie to death, but that product just didn't work for me. And I was so frustrated and I think extra frustrated because I had spent my, you know, what little I had on it. Um, and I literally threw it in the passenger seat of my car and said, gosh, stupid thing if my eyeliner was magnetic this top lash would stick hmm. and I just stopped right there in my car still and was like huh, I wonder as so I grabbed my phone and I started googling DIY eyeliner and can you put magnets on your face 
And literally <laughs> from that parking lot, I drove to the GNC and bought the stuff for DIY eyeliner and the hobby store to get some iron oxide powder, which I found you could get like two miles from me. I don't know what they use it for hobby wise, but they had it and went home and literally right then and there started making it. Hmm. Now, wait a minute. Are you, a, do you build prototypes in your spare time or do you just? Nope. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> However, I do invent things. I am very inventive. I always have been. I'm always coming up with some idea, um, you know, different I, sewing. I'm very good at sewing. So different designs for mm -hmm. clothing or, or different, not even designs, but different ways um, to make make clothing better things sure. like that different jewelry products just things that make sense with what i did for a living i was I'm all, i've always been very inventive andrew wanna, well let's show the tape um the video because i want people to see how how great this product is okay yeah yeah all right okay Thank you. here we go it's gonna take a minute no problem Here's how you apply your lash liner eyelashes. It's really easy. You just take the lash, you hold it up to the eyeliner that you've already applied. Voila. Let's do the other one. There you go. It's that easy. Laura, I have wow. a couple questions because sure. I'm a guy. Okay, uh -huh. so this seems pretty magical here to me. There's some magic right? here, right? Mm -hmm. um, you take you you explain to me exactly how it works because it seems kind of like how does that work? <laughs> well, you um, so what a lot of guys wouldn't know because I've never worn false eyelashes and a lot of women because I haven't successfully worn them is that there's there's just a lot of pain points when it comes to putting on traditional false eyelashes with glue um including things like gluing your eyes together and just making a big old mess and not being able to get them on straight um it, it really was incredibly difficult to put on false eyelashes just frustratingly so which is why most women didn't wear them you know, regularly um and so that was, you know, kind of one of the things that made it so magical is it was so bad before and it's so easy this way that it, people were like, what? that can't be real. Um, it is. So it's, it's simple theoretically. I mean, the eyeliner is magnetic. You draw it on, you let it dry completely. It isn't glue. And that's where, where people, if they do have a problem with it at the beginning, there's a little learning curve because they'll try to use it like glue and it, it just makes a mess. And it's like, no, no, it's not glue it's a magnet so you let it dry and mm -hmm. then it's just like putting a magnet on a refrigerator i mean really the eyeline the lash isn't going to go where the magnet isn't so uh -huh. it just draws it right where you want it right where the eyeliner is so you kind of can't miss and if you do miss it's a dry surface so you just pull it off and put it back on once it's on there for about five minutes the magnetic particles in the liner are drawn more strongly to the magnets and the lash and it does cure over time a little bit more even though it seems dry and it, it creates a stronger bond so once it's been on for about five ten minutes the bond is actually quite a lot stronger 
um, at which point you, you don't want to reposition it because you'll probably pull some of your eyeliner off. So it gives you some time to reposition it in the beginning, but then creates a really nice strong bond for the day. This sounds like this has a lot of chemistry to it. Is that true? Uh, it is true. And although I was very good in science in high school and college, I was not a chemist and I had to learn how to formulate. And I, I really just, you know, sat down and learned to formulate. You know, I, I did all the research I could find on how to make makeup and what the different chemicals do and how they interact with each other. And I made a couple of discoveries of my own, the, the things that we use in ways that are different than other people do. Um, and so that's how it was born. It was just a lot of trial and error and a lot of learning. How many prototypes did you make? Oh, thousands, thousands. <laughs> so <Wow>. many. <laughs> oh God, I, yeah, I made a hundred a day, you know, some okay. days. So how do you go from prototype to production? Because that's that's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, that's a trick, I tell you. Um, so small scale production isn't so hard, you know, if you just want to sell something at your local craft fair, it's not that big of a deal. I uh, just, you know, buy more, but, and, you know, make larger batches. But if you want to do full scale production, you know, in a store or to do, you know, a reasonably sized e-commerce business, um, you have to find a factory. And there are definitely some difficult spots in finding factories. Um, people are not likely to work with someone that is unknown in an industry who's really very new. Um, so that was difficult for us. Um, we really wanted to make our product in the United States. And after a couple months of trying, we could not find anyone to work with us. And so um, I actually had, we, we kind of got into an emergency situation because we had had a Kickstarter. And by the end of the Kickstarter, we had about $100,000 in orders and we had no one to make our product. And the one company that had said they would work with us really wouldn't. Um, and so we kept depending on them and to, to follow through on the formulation that I had made and they just wouldn't do it. And um, finally, the, the guy that owned the company said something rather sexist and disparaging to me. He told me I was just a soccer mom and I didn't know what I, how things worked in the world. And so we had to fire him. And then we were left with literally like nobody. We didn't have, we had no, nobody to make this for us and $100,000 in orders. And so I actually did something I would never recommend anybody does, which was I flew to China without a visa in the middle of the night. And um, I had a ticket to Thailand and the central point was Shanghai, or not Shanghai, Shenzhen. And I got off the plane in Shenzhen instead of going on to Thailand um, and bought my way into a visa for a week so I could meet with a Chinese company. No, no, no wait, wait, wait. No, wow. wait a that's wait quite a, a story. Wait, wait, no, wait a minute. I was desperate, you, <laughs> really desperate. On, you go on Kickstarter and you're not quite sure how to manufacture it. That, that's pretty daring in itself. Yeah. I think probably a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Then you just say, I'm going to China. Okay, so. Right, yeah. When we lost our manufacturer, the people we thought we could depend on to manufacture, we, we really were out of time. And that was the only people we could find at all, given, you know, months of trying. And so at that point, I just didn't know what else to do. And I, I literally woke up in the, about two o'clock in the morning. I mean, I literally, I didn't sleep. I was so worried. $100,000 of people's money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do, you know? And you don't want to disappoint them. And Lord knows you don't want to give it back. You want to make the product. That's the whole point. And so I just didn't know what to do. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I just said to my partner, Bob, I said, I have to go to China. And I mean, like now. And he was like, um, 
you don't have a visa. And I said, I, that's fine. I'll figure it out. And so I, um, I had looked at some Chinese companies previously, and there was one that I, I thought I felt like they were honest and they, they worked with a lot of natural cosmetics. And so I felt like, you know, they would, wouldn't steer us in a way that was unsafe. And, um, so I called them and it conveniently, the middle of the night is during the day in China. It was about 5 PM there. And, um, I called them and I said, Hey, if I get on a plane, you know, in the morning, my time, can I come to the factory and work with your chemist and do this with you? And they said, sure. And I said, okay, of course they're like, where's your visa? And I'm like, don't worry about it. And so I did, I, um, I bought the ticket and I, I got a, a through flight to Thailand. So they would let me get on the plane to go to Shenzhen. And I got off the plane in Shenzhen and I had already talked to them at the airport in Seattle and told them what I was planning to do. So they already had everything I needed when I got off the plane in Shenzhen um, mm -hmm. to interrogate or, and or interview, however you want to look at it. Um, okay. Me and I, I had a friend with me. Um, and so we just, we just thought, you know, what's the worst case scenario is they send us back or we go to Thailand. It's not the end of the world, you know? Okay. And so we got off the plane and um, had the money to get a temporary visa and they okayed it with the factory. They knew we were coming and they had already, you know, greased the wheels as much as possible and they let us in. Now, Laura, let's talk about, you know, stepping into another world. I'm sure it was when you got there. Mm-hmm. Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? I'm sure you had them sign an NDA. Was that enough comfort for you? Because, you know, you're over in China. You never know what's going to happen. So we actually realized, Bob realized while I was on the plane, luckily there was Wi-Fi on the plane. He realized while I was on the plane that he didn't know if the NDA was enough. And so he actually started trying to contact lawyers. It took me about 20 hours to get there. And he found a law firm that did Chinese um, NDAs and they aren't called NDAs, they're called NNNs and they are manufacturing agreements and they are the only thing that will hold up in the Chinese court and they really will. And so he desperately tried to get me an NNN while I was in the air for 20 hours and um, everybody said there's just no way and he ended up talking for like an hour and a half to the senior partner for free of some law firm who just thought it was the most interesting thing he ever heard and they did it for us. So wow. by the time I arrived, we had an NNN and I had to, I had to stall in the morning and get to the factory later because the fax wasn't there in time and mm -hmm. because I couldn't talk to them until they had the fax. And so we were stalling and finally they were like, okay, you can go. And so we got in the car and uh, went over to the factory and they immediately provided me the fax that so we all signed it off, gave us each other copies and it, we all had copies and then we started work. But yeah, it was like right down to the minute. Hmm. trying to get that done in time because we didn't know what we were doing. Okay. Um, once I got there though, when, once you get there, when, when you're the guest of, of a manufacturing company, they don't want you to go see someone else. They take very good care of you. <laughs> um, you know, they pick you up, they drop you off, they take you anywhere you want to go. They make sure you're in your hotel. They make sure you get all your meals. They take you to every meal. Um, they take incredibly good care of you. I, I would definitely not tell anybody to worry about spending time on a manufacturing trip in China because they, they know that they don't want you to go see other people. So, so they really are very, very kind. We had a driver and a translator the whole time. Okay. Um, and I think I, from what I've heard, that's normal. Yeah, I've heard that too. And I've, I've worked over there and they do treat you extremely well. But here's the kicker, everybody. How fast did you start to ship products once you met your manufacturer? Six weeks. We shipped products six weeks later. After months of trying to, you know, deal with this other company, it only took six weeks. 
And it actually only took 10 minutes for him, for the chemist in China to formulate the product using my formulation. The other chemist mm. in the state, for, for whatever reason, and I think it was ego, honestly, um, he wouldn't use my formulation. There was nothing wrong with it. It wasn't illegal in any way. Um, okay. he, he whipped it right up and mixed it with proper equipment and brought it out and said, is this right? And the first batch had a little too much water in it. And I said, nope, too much water. And he said, oh, I see what happened there. Went, did it again. And literally 10 minutes later, it was done and we went to lunch. It was ridiculous. Now, yeah. I want to step back for just a minute. Um, wow, this has happened pretty fast for you, hasn't it? Yes, very fast. Okay, so how does someone get up to speed to be in full business? I mean, you're doing some big numbers at the moment. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yes, yeah. We're, do we're doing, we're at about 50 million for the year. So how do you go from zero to 50 million? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Boy, I tell you, well, you invent something. Start with that. It's hard to sell a Me Too product. It's a lot easier to sell an invention. <laughs> so that's that's a good okay. start. Do you, do you bring in expert help? Yes. Um, do you bring um, consultants in? What do, you, what do you do, Laura? Yes, consultants are huge. Um, you definitely bring in expert helps and consultants. Um, I can tell you that Componentry and and in this in the manufacturing world, components are are packaging basically. It's the bottle something comes in, it's the box that come that the bottle comes in. All of those things are components. I like to say components are the devil. It mm. takes so much longer to get all the components than it does to get your product made every time. Mm. So I, I highly recommend that like the very first thing anybody does is figure out who's making their boxes and their bottles and their packaging and get it started even if you don't have your product ready because that's what's really going to be your long your you know long tail item um but yeah you really surround yourself with people who know what they're doing scaling okay. is really hard scaling because when you start out you're most likely going to use a smaller company because they'll be able to do the smaller amounts that you want to make problem is you need the power of a really big company mm -hmm. if you're going to actually scale and you need it fast because of course it takes months when you order something it's going to take a few months to get it most of the time um, our first shipment that we sent out the boxes were the wrong size we had the wrong bottles mm -hmm. the formulation was a smidge off because we couldn't we couldn't um, have one of the ingredients exactly the one that we wanted and we okay. just said that's it we'll iterate it's fine just send it how do you okay two, I've got a lot of questions here <laughs> Have you changed the manufacturer since you're scaling up or are you, are you stay are you still with the same one? We have multiple manufacturers now. So oh. the manufacturer that the original manufacturer that made our classic eyeliner is still the only manufacturer that makes it and the only people that have the formulation. Um, but we do have and now we have a made in the USA version, which is slightly different. Um, okay. It's less waterproof, which is actually a benefit to people because it's easier to remove. So we have two versions, Made in the USA and Classic, that are different formulations. Um, and we we now have a lot of other brands also. Um, yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about those. But yeah. before we get there, let's talk about the QC problem, quality control. How mm. do you make sure that product gets to you and it looks good? How, how many problems do you have with that? So many. They, so many and lashes are particularly difficult because they're tiny little hairs, right? You know, it's the easiest thing to mess up. Um, we're just very picky about it. You know, we we test everything. When we first started, we didn't realize we needed to put batch numbers on everything. 
Um, we also didn't realize that we needed to be very specific with our chemists and say, you can't change something without telling us even if you think it's better, um, things like that. So we would have strange things that would happen. Um, our, we feel like we've worked with some companies that were kind of shady for lashes where we're like, okay, great. We'll order a thousand of these and the first thousand's great. And then we order another thousand and they're just crap, you know? And so we found, you know, you really have to pay attention um, when you start working with a company and there's like little change after little change and the quality's going down, you know that that's kind of their MO. You know, you want to, and just, you don't want to stay with them. Get, get someone else as soon as you can. Do you have someone over there that's on the floor that's QC, Q, QC oh, yeah. for you all the time? Yeah. Yeah. We have um, one person, his name is Jared, who does that all day, every day. And then we have a number of other people who double check his work. And then we also have people in our returns um, department, in our support department, who if they start seeing a number of similar items, um, they'll come to us and tell us we think we have a, a larger problem that didn't get caught on the way out the door. And it happens all the time. You know, little things get go wrong mm -hmm. all the time. And it's it's just really something you have to know is going to happen always. Okay. It's just part of the how, job. How do you handle, okay, let's talk about this um scaling up is hard it takes mm -hmm. a lot of work there's qc problems i mean there's a lot of details here mm -hmm. but how do you scale up is it is your is it your marketing that you increase your sales because last time i spoke to you you're at 25 million so, right we've done a lot more now so how do you do that is it with all the different products mix or is it your your pr your advertisement how do you do that it's the marketing um so we found two exemplary markets or you know sales channels. Um, so one is uh, e-commerce advertising. So Facebook, Google, um, Instagram, that kind of thing. YouTube. That really, for most companies, that's your best bet. Brick and mortar is dying. You know e-commerce is where it's at, and basically it's all about. I I highly recommend hiring a marketing company. Um, because it is a full-time, it's a 24-hour-a-day job to properly market an e-commerce product. It's constant A-B testing. But all you have to do is find an ad that makes a little tiny bit more mm -hmm. than that ad costs you, and you're done. You just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, and you will learn to get better and better and better. So if you can find just the tiniest return on investment, at that point, you're really just printing money. Mm. So that's the trick. Can you give us an idea of what you were spending when you were smaller and what you're spending now at ballpark so people really understand? Because you're you're kind of you've you've grown, you're big now. So Right, right. So well we have the two different companies. So Lashliner is strictly e-commerce. Lashliner only accounts for about ten percent of our revenue, but that's still five million dollars a year. So that's a great company. Um, okay. We spend $900 a day on Facebook ads and about $100 a day on other ads combined. So about $1,000 so a day. About $1,000 a day we spend in advertising, but we have a return on that investment that is good. And so, you know, we know we're getting it back the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, and when we first started, I think we started at about $50 a day mm -hmm. and Got then it. started moving up. And as soon as, as soon as we, saw a return on the investment where we went from like 50 to 200 and then like 200 to 500 i mean we made big jumps because we were printing mm -hmm. money you know it's if, if you know you're going to get back more than you put in you're not really gambling so put a lot in 
Got it. Wow. Um, you could probably write a book on this, couldn't you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We could co-author it. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna wait for that. I'm sure that's okay. gonna be fantastic. I, I've got a question for you, Laura. Our crowd is is all about licensing. Most mm -hmm. most of the folks that that watch us, and so you've become a fairly big company. And you know, one of the things when you when you venture and you start your own company is you have to expand your product line. Are you looking for new products? Are you open to receiving ideas from inventors for we licensing? Are. Or you are okay. Good. Yes, we would love to. Um, license new products. That's very high on our, our list of things to do. We pride ourselves on being an inventive company and I, you know, do most of our innovations and inventions, but I'm realistic here. You know, there's a whole big world out there and I would, I would love to have all of their help too. Good. Is the best yeah, way for people to find you is on LinkedIn. I know we talked a little bit about that last time. Is that the best way for people to say, Hey, Laura, I got this idea. I want to introduce myself or is there another way? That probably is the best way right now. Maybe, I, I don't know, they could they could email you and you'd tell me. Um, <laughs> let's see. I think, yeah, probably LinkedIn is the best way right now. Or you could use our support center, which is support at ToriBellCosmetics.com. Okay. Or go on either of our websites and just send a message. Um, any Anything like that will get to me. They, all of our support Great. agents know that if somebody says, I have something I'd like you to look at, I get it. Good, because I have something I saw from two of our students that's just awesome. I'll send that to you. Okay. Yeah, perfect. I'd love to see it. Okay. Steven, I, I wanted um, to jump in with the question here. Uh, Laura, the, the 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 beauty industry back in the day, and correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, was, was dominated by some big guys, and that's changed a lot. I'm guessing about over the last eight or ten years or so. Um what changes have you seen since you've been in the beauty before you had a business, you were a makeup mm -hmm. artist for 25 years. What changes have you seen in the beauty industry over time recently, last five or 10 years? What, what give people a lay of the land if they have a beauty related product? Um, well, there's obviously a large shift towards e-commerce. And I, I think that there's a perception that there's a lot more smaller brands that are doing well because of the internet, but these larger brands mm -hmm. do tend to buy them all. So um, once they get somewhere, like It Cosmetics is a good example. Um, so although you may see a whole lot of brands in the store, they're often owned by just a couple of companies, really. So I don't know that it's really changed all that much. I mean, there's not been a ton of innovation in beauty, really. I mean, they kind of they, they say, oh, my God, we're doing all these things. But really, it's a lot of the same things they were doing a long time ago. Um, there's the big trends are, of course, cleaner makeup. Everybody wants to be cleaner and healthier and we always try to, you know, we don't add something we don't need to add ever. Um, things that are non-toxic, that kind of thing, bio-glitters. So I, I think that really the trend is more just towards sustainability. And But still, you know, you're still seeing, you know, a whole lot of the big guys that run pretty much everything. There's there's not a lot of upstarts like us. Hey, yeah, the, per, the perception I had was that it's a lot of smaller companies, but they're getting swallowed up. And that, that yeah. is common in other industries as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Laura, tell me this. Um, you've got, um, I'll say competition. You'll say what? Uh, knockoffs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, when did that happen? And and how are you dealing with it? Because you've got a hit. And when you have a hit, you're going to have some friends jumping in. How do you deal with all those bad guys? 
Right. Um, so there's a couple of ways. Um, first thing I like to warn anybody who's invented anything, do not do a Kickstarter until after you have production. There's nothing wrong with Kickstarter except for the fact that that is where the trolls go to find your idea and steal it. And that happened to us. Um, so before we even had full mass production, someone else was already starting to sell our product that was able who already had a cosmetic company. So you have to imagine, you know, if you invent something, somebody who's already in that industry has much, 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 you know, uh, more opportunity to create things. They have a lot of resources you don't have, and they have them immediately where you're searching for them for months and trying to work it out. So until you can figure out your production and literally have it in hand to send out the door, I would never, ever, ever do a Kickstarter or any other pre-sale. It just gives people an opportunity to steal your idea. So for us, it came very, very quickly. It was extremely frustrating and disheartening and especially to have people, you know, steal our, they stole everything. You know, they literally, we had people just copy our website and they were selling things that really didn't work well, but, you know, or at all in some cases, but they had something they could get out the door. So before we even were able to ship our product and mass, other people were shipping. Hmm. Yeah, Let's we've heard a lot about this, Stephen, with Kickstarter. It's uh, really mm -hmm. risky these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so you go on Kickstarter, these guys jump on, they're not doing a good job, they're probably hurting your brand a little bit. Yeah. It's hard to fight them now. You, have your patents issued? No, not yet. Still, well, we, it's hard to tell how close you are at any given time, but right about the point we thought that we were pretty much getting there, there was, um, the, they shut down. And so now things are just opening back up and we're, you know, restarting that process. But it's okay. just patents are a very lengthy process. And although, you know, you should always file for them. Your IP is valuable. It's, it's you know, can be a big part of the value of your company in the long run. Also, it unless you want to wait three years and risk someone else doing what you're doing, you pretty much just have to accept that you're going to have to be the biggest and the best. Mm -hmm. And people will copy you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Got it. So, um, especially if you ha you don't have it um, completely patent, even even if you yeah. have a patent, you got to chase people around. Yeah. And that's kind of a that's yep. a whole other talk and conversation itself. Yeah. Um, does it? You're doing so well with this. Um, are you beating the competition? It seems like you are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're yeah we're we're beating them by leaps and bounds. I'm none of them are making anywhere near what we are as popular as us. How are you doing that? What are you doing that's making? I know you're the first, you're the original, but is there mm -hmm. anything else you're doing? Is it customer service? Is it great marketing? A better product? How are you beating the guys? Um, it's all of the above, and we've um changed our what well, not changed. We added a second sales channel which is a modified affiliate slash direct sales system um, that resonated really strongly with that community who wants to do affiliate sales, be influencers, do direct sales. Um, and so we've created a hybrid that really, really resonated with people. So we have about 40,000 salespeople now um, and they are, they are just amazing. You know, they're, they're, just out there every day selling the heck out of lashes and liner and our other cosmetics. And um, they, they really do a great job of marketing. And our goal is to just make sure they have everything they need all the time 
to do the best at their businesses. So that's how we've really overcome is not in most cases, not to go so much head to head with them as to mm -hmm. kind of surround them with an entirely different sales channel. Got it. Let's talk about how you've expanded your business mm -hmm. because you have a lot of other products now, don't you? Yes, we do. All right, Andrew, can you're on the website now? Yeah, I can jump. There we go. Why don't you jump on? Let's maybe. Well, um, you'd be better ahead. to be on. You're on the wrong website. So mm -hmm. Lash Liner only has lashes and liner, and I think mm -hmm. remover. But Tory Bell Cosmetics is where we've expanded. Okay. So you want to go to ToryBellCosmetics.com. Am I spelling that right? I can't see it. <laughs> T-O-R-I-B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. No, I spelled it wrong. There we go. Here we go. Okay. There we go. That looks like us. So um, Tori Bell is our direct sales site. That's an affiliate slash direct sales model. And I realized as soon as we really had some traction that there's, um, it's very hard to get into any industry to, to really be in an industry. And we had such a small period of time or could possibly have such a small period of time before somebody else invented something else where we had people's attention that we figured, you know, we'd better, we'd better expand as fast as humanly possible. So we immediately started um, the process of getting other cosmetics, the goal being to have you know everything that someone needs on their bathroom counter. So that's kind of our end goal is to have a full cosmetic line. Mm -hmm. And we are about halfway there at this point. just getting bigger and bigger is your um yes. are you looking to get bought out no nope we're not um we are not the there's nothing wrong with having an you know an end goal and and you know building a company that way but that's not how we are we're really very um we feel very strongly attached to our sales field we feel like um they believed in us and we provide them what they need and for us to sell out would not be right. It wouldn't be fair to them. Um, okay. It would it would hurt them. And so we really are committed to being here for the long run for our field. Now, but that's not uh, to say we wouldn't take some investors or something, but we bootstrap the whole company and have no debt at all. So we have plenty of room if somebody, you know, if the right people came in, we're, you know, never say never, we're just not planning anything. So let's do this, Andrew. Let's open up for questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So we're always short on time. Laura, what a great job. I, I'm just oh. so impressed that Thank um, you. you've overcome obstacles. You're willing to tackle the unknown. You were you, you weren't fearful, I guess. You just took it on and you figured it out and you've gotten very, very good at this. So Oh, I was fearful. Stephen, who says she wasn't fearful? She I was fearful. She wasn't fearful. <laughs> well, yeah. not I was brave. Not enough. She's there brave. You go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. Didn't yeah, stop brave. her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was. There's a difference between brave and not afraid. Brave means you are afraid and you do it anyway. That's more how it was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, you got some interesting questions here. You know, a lot of people may be thinking this, so it's a good question. Brian says, 
is there any medical concern putting magnetic material so close to your eyes, especially since the bond gets stronger over the course of the day? Um, yeah. Hi, Brian. No, there's no medical problems with magnets near your eyes. As a matter of fact, magnets are used in a lot of um, healing. They have healing properties of drawing blood to the skin, things like that. Um, the bond isn't so tight that it's going to hurt you in any way. The only thing that you would want to watch out for is you wouldn't want to wear it in an MRI. It wouldn't hurt you, but it would blur the MRI and the lashes would probably fly off and stick to the machine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's the that's the next question. Of course, these are all from guys. I, I assume Jesse's a guy here. I'm not sure. But how do you remove the magnets from your eyelid? You just pull them off. It doesn't feel any different than pulling regular eyelashes off. So you you but you but when you the, I think he's referring to the paint. So when you paint it on, do you just oh, peel it so off? We have a remover. Yeah. So you okay. wash your face and then you use the remover. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, there was two questions in this area. It's like it's like we have professional interviewers that are that are our audience. It's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, Sid says, looking back on your experience now, if you could give advice to yourself in the very beginning, what would you say? Oh my gosh. Well, I'd say don't hire a couple people I hired, and definitely don't do that Kickstarter. Those would be my big pieces of advice. Be very careful about who you hire. How long ago was did you do the Kickstarter? How long ago was that? July of 2018. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, it's even gone, worse now. It's gone gotten record, really bad. Record yeah. speed, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's good. Yeah. That's really we congratulations. Shipped, yeah. Thank you. We shipped our first our first mass ship product December 17th of 2018. Okay. How many hours a day do you work? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always working. There's never a time when I'm not working, at least not in my head. But I like this is what I, you know, this is my life. It's I don't I don't think of it that way. Okay. It's Next question is from Cindy. Go ahead, Stephen. Sorry. I'm just saying she just said it, everybody. It's not work if you love it. So yeah. For yeah. Yeah. We had another speaker on the other day that said the exact same thing. Um, Cindy says, would you take on products other than cosmetics? So you talked about, you know, you're expanding your line, getting in how you were expanding that. Would that ever include non-cosmetics? Yes, definitely. Um, they would, it would most likely be, although not necessarily, we would still act as an ink. If, if somebody came to me with an amazing product, I would probably incubate it because I just love inventions and new fun things. But um, even kind of on the outskirts of cosmetics, there's things like, you know, handbags or that kind of thing there's there's plenty of accessories that you know swag that kind of stuff that goes really nicely with cosmetics so those kinds of things we would most certainly consider okay uh jamie says um hi stephen and andrew and laura great webinar full of information did you file u.s patents and patents in china question mark Yes, we filed both U.S. and international patents. Oh, and another big piece of advice, when you trademark things, trademark it in China because we have the awesome opportunity right now to pay off a guy that stole our trademark in China. So that's fun. Definitely make sure that you, when you when you file your trademarks, trademark them everywhere. I've heard that's a thing in yep. China with the trademark. It's a very weird rules over there. Don't yeah, make a lot of, yeah, I've heard about that. 
Yeah, there are people who do that literally for a living. And it's interesting because the government sort of helps you because they tell you, hey, somebody filed a trademark in this other country that matches the one in your country. Do you want to do anything about it? And what they mean is, you know, can you prove that it's yours? But really what they're helping this guy find you and blackmail you. It's lovely. So definitely when you file your trademarks and you file your patents, do it everywhere. Wow. Um, let's see. Joe, as you were going through the process, were there any times you thought this was bigger than you could handle? What kind of research did you do to figure out what to do next? That's a good question. Yeah, I knew immediately the second the thing stuck to my arm that it was bigger than I could handle. Right then. <laughs> so um, the first thing I did is rope in my boyfriend as my business partner who, I, you know, I wouldn't suggest that unless your boyfriend happens to actually be a product manager, but mine was. Um, so that was perfect. So he actually knows how to manage a large product, a multi-million dollar product. He, he managed product for IBM for many years. So that was handy, but if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else. I, I know my limitations. I can't do accounting to save my life. Um, you know, there are definitely things that I can't do alone, and I'm, I, but I'm good at delegating. So um, yeah, absolutely. Anytime that I start feeling like something's over my head, the first thing I do is think to myself, who do I need to hire? Because clearly I need to hire somebody. And I think that's a, a big thing is not letting, not feeling like you have to do everything, realizing that when you're running out of time, it's because you need more people and getting them. Mm -hmm. Chris says, since you were somewhat down and out, how did you get the funding to start up? Interestingly, so the Kickstarter, but we didn't actually need to do the Kickstarter. We had, um, actually Bob, my boyfriend, he'd actually just been laid off from IBM too. So it was a little sketchy, but you know, we owned, or he owned a house and, you know, he had some savings. I really had nothing left, literally nothing, but he had some. And so I could have borrowed it from him and, but I didn't want to. Um, basically it wasn't that much money though. I mean, it really only took maybe $5,000 to really, to start going. And as long as we had figured out who the manufacturer was, which really doesn't cost very much, we could have done like some pre-sales on Facebook or something like that um, once we were, you know, within a few weeks of having product and, you know, done net 30. So there's ways that you can you can maneuver that with just a couple thousand dollars to start off with, because once you get a little traction on some ads, then you're okay. Then you've got some money coming in and you can start putting it somewhere. So if you can just come up with a few thousand dollars, you can do it. Michelle has a good question. I'm not sure what the question is. Let's just read it out loud. We'll figure it out together. How do you prefer to review products? Question mark. Are you open to drawings and virtual prototypes? Oh, okay. So she's talking about, so if she wants to submit something to you for licensing, do, do, do they need to be super well refined or would a virtual prototype or something no, more simple do? They don't have to be super well refined. Um, uh, a real prototype is definitely better, but you know we're more than happy to look at a virtual one. Uh, but definitely, so I get I get a lot of emails of people saying things like, um, you know, hey, will you look at an idea? And I'm like, yes, tell me about it. And they're like, I can't. And I'm like, you have to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you got to give me something, right? <laughs> so just so you know, I I know it's hard, but we can't. Um, we can't sign NDAs with everybody who has an idea, just like when you go on Shark Tank or when you, you know, probably sign up with you guys too. Um, we, you have to tell us what it is. We, we can't go through that process with everybody. Mm 
Well, if they file a provisional patent application. That exactly, right. Yeah, definitely protect yourself. And, you know, besides, we're, we're a large enough, well-known enough company that's really well-known for how strongly we fight against people who are copycats or who knock people off that I'd, I'd say, you know, normally I'd say don't trust people, but you can trust us. We're known for it, so. These are just some nice comments. Linda Marie says, genius, thank you for the fantastic lashes. Oh, and then thank you. Joe says, by the way, you're my new hero inventor. Oh, nice those are so nice. I want to mention something here. Um, Laura, you've reinvented yourself a few times, haven't you? Yes, yes, I've had to, but that's okay. It's a learning experience. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about your what you used to do and sure. just so everybody gets a, a pretty good idea where you where you've been and where you're going? Sure. Um, so I didn't I didn't come from like a wealthy family or anything like that. Um, I you know perfectly kind of normal suburban divorced household. Um, my mom had some issues, and so I moved out when I was 14. Um, and I cleaned houses and I rented a room and that kind of thing. And I, I, you know, couch surfed for a couple of years and until I was 16, I stayed in school, went, you know, did all the things I was supposed to do, but I've been out on my own almost entirely since I was 14. And I've probably tried to open 30 businesses. I was actually trying to make a list recently of all the cockamamie things I tried to do. Some of them were just silly. Others were, weren't bad ideas. I just didn't know how to do it. Um, I've lost everything more than once, probably three, four times now. Um, but you know, you just have to get back up and keep trying and keep learning. But I I get what it means to like literally run out of food because I have. You know, I get what it means to not have a car. I get what it means to wake up every single morning terrified about where you're how you're gonna pay rent. Like I I deeply deeply understand that was my life for many 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 years, like 20 years. Um, and it wasn't until somewhat recently where I actually started to feel like, gosh, it's gonna be okay. You know. Like, where I wasn't worried about my retirement, you know, that kind of thing, or, or literally having none whatsoever. Like, how is that going to work? Um, so I definitely, I, I couldn't be a more firm believer in the fact that it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, just keep trying. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Well, Thank you. I, I'm going to have to buy my wife some of these because she's, I think she'll, we'll, I want to, I want to, because everybody's just commenting. Megan said the lashes are awesome. Thank Good. you for the great, great webinar. So I think your business is just going to grow by leaps and bounds. That's the next the question I have for you. Women talk when they find amazing things like this. Mm -hmm. Are they talking online? Are they talking in person? Is it just going to snowball from are, are they doing a lot of social media showing their lashes? How is the marketing working for you in that area? Yes, it is. Um, of course, because of COVID, it's primarily social media, but that's good because that's what we're trying to train people to do anyway, um, because it's scalable. We're, you know, it's, it's all about a scalable process and um, Internet marketing is the most scalable thing we have around. So we teach people. We have a lot of training for our people. We teach them how to do um, lives. We teach them how to how to do testing, A-B testing. We teach them how to be on different um, like third-party sites like eBay, we teach them how to do parties online. We we have a, just a ton of training so that people can learn how to market, and um, it's great because they're learning how to market a product that they're selling for their own profit. But also, of course, it helps our business. There are salespeople, so um, it's working out really, really well. But yeah, we definitely strongly focus on on social media selling. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Cool. Hey guys, if you have a, a few minutes, if you could type in your thank yous for Laura, we probably don't have time to read them all, but maybe I'll send them to you tomorrow, Laura. Uh, so no, if you could sweet. type those into the questions box, I'm sure she'd appreciate that. She's taken up a bunch of her time to share her experience with you and her wisdom. So um, if you could write something more than just thank you, write you know how you feel or what have you, that's always nice. Uh, Stephen, do you have any more questions for Laura before we I, I, wrap I up? I think it's or? really interesting that uh, Laura had mentioned how many times she's failed and got up and did it again. Yeah. That, um, you know, sometimes people see someone's success and they, they don't know if it's luck or timing or whatever, but I think you have to get in the game and fail a few times and get back up and do it again and again. Um, yeah. I think it's part of the process and you just have to accept that and take a little bit of risk. Mm -hmm. Take a lot uh, of risk. It's okay. <laughs> Just do it. Well, the other thing too, I, I, what I really like about her, her business strategy, and I asked her this before about the float game, um, because if you're doing a lot of, you know, retail, uh, retailers, that gets a little tricky. But if you're selling things online, which a lot of people are today, right? Mm -hmm. um, it allows you to operate a little bit differently. Do you find that as a big benefit to being online? Yes, actually, and something that your people can use, um, you know, like real nuts and bolts kind of advice is that if you take PayPal or if you're on Shopify and they see that you're starting to do some sales, um, they are awesome. They will actually just email you and say, hey, we'll give you a low interest loan. No strings attached. You have this long to pay it back and we're going to just take 15% of what you make until it's paid off. Done. And that was extremely helpful for us starting out, even though we could have, you know, scraped by and and bought the product we needed, that gave us a buffer so we didn't have to be freaking out and worrying all the time. And mm. it's great because you're creating your own credit accidentally just by accepting PayPal and being on Shopify. And believe me, I don't get anything for telling you guys this, I don't work for them, but they do a wonderful job of monitoring that and and being very pro the businesses that use them to the point where they literally will invest in you. And we weren't very far along when they invested in us. I mean, we were probably only a couple months along and they gave us money and it was a pretty good chunk of money. Um, I think they initially gave us like $70,000, um, which is quite a bit, you know, that's, that's enough to really make a dent and get some stock in place. So I highly recommend that um, one e-commerce, but two, use those platforms because they will help you. They'll keep an eye on you and they'll help you and they'll they'll send you people to consult with you. I mean, as soon as they see that you're selling something, they jump right in because it, your success is their success. Got it. Stephen, can you explain the float claim a little bit? I think some people didn't understand what you were talking about with if you're selling to retail, um, the sure. floating the money. Can you explain yeah. that real quick? Yeah. If Let's say I'm selling to Walmart. I get an order from Walmart and I've got to buy my material from from China, ship it, store it, and then fill that order and then get paid 90 days later from Walmart. So yeah. I've got a float game. I've got to pay my manufacturer all this money now. Maybe they give me 30 days credit, right? So I get 30 days, but I still have 60 days to, to where I've had to actually find money you, to pay you need massive massive order. amounts of money but what laura yeah. was talking about is doing it online that it, uh, it selling direct to consumer that you can kind of it bypasses everything yeah, yeah. And it, it allows you to to avoid that 
that 60 day of, hey, where am I gonna get the money? Well, not everything. I mean, you still, you, sometimes you still need to float it a little bit for if a little manufacturer, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, you still have to get the stock, but it's not as bad. Nope. Not as Definitely bad. not as bad. Yeah. Um, did you ever consider going on Shark Tank at all during this whole thing? I did try out for Shark Tank. What As happened? a matter of fact, yeah, I did. So funny, actually, um, a woman emailed me just today, this morning, and said she was behind me in line at Shark Tank, and she was so excited to see we were doing well. So I thought that was super <laughs> cool that she contacted me. Um, so yeah, I, it was actually the coolest thing I ever did. I highly recommend anybody who's ever invented anybody go stand in that line and go through that process, um, because it really made me feel legitimate. Like before that, I felt really weird saying I invented something. And then to be around all those people who all say, oh, I'm an inventor. What did you invent? It, it really made me feel like it was okay. It, I had kind of got over that, um, what do they call that? Sin imposter syndrome. Mm. I had definite imposter syndrome. And so that really helped me to get past that. Plus it was just neat, you know, to see everybody else's thought processes and to go through that process and so much excitement. Um, it really is what you make of it, and they really are looking for fun people. So, you know, if, if that's something you want to do, make sure that when you go that you really are energetic and you have a good time being there. Um, they asked me to be on the show, but I declined because we didn't have, it didn't make sense because we couldn't get product in in time. And mm -hmm. so it would have been yet another place for people to steal our idea before we could sell it. Oh, okay. All right. You know, there's a ton of thank yous here. I won't I won't read them all, but I'll send them over to you, Laura. Thank you. Um, there's there isn't a good question in here. Uh, this is from uh, Evelyn. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is a common sense that fashion is very difficult, a very difficult market for inventors. What does Laura think about that? So what do you think about the fashion business? Of course, clothing is a little different than cosmetics, but they're they're kind of similar in that there aren't a lot of inventions um in either of those realms and i would say that clothing is probably even a little more difficult than mm -hmm. cosmetics um it is true it's it's a difficult place to get in but i i always tell everybody that you know you probably have something in your life you probably had a million things in your life where you said oh this would be so much better if blank or why don't they do a blank or why can't they make a something those are inventions you know it's you just have to listen to yourself. I always tell people the difference between being an inventor and not being an inventor is just hearing yourself say that, you know, why don't they make a blank? And if you hear yourself say that, you'll know there's a problem to solve and you can go start to solve it. So whether it's clothing or cosmetics or, you know, how a toilet works, as soon as you realize that there's a gap and you need something, you can invent something in that space just the same as any other. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, um, worried about what particular thing that it is what what realm you invent in so much is just to really hear yourself have a need and try to solve it and mm -hmm. if if there's a need there's a need it doesn't matter what the industry is you wouldn't be here today with all this success if you had that had that thought oh fashion's kind of hard so right yeah. exactly yeah yeah no there's plenty of room for everybody and everybody almost every day well, maybe not every day, but everybody, I'd say, I'd hasten to say every week, at least once you say, oh, why don't they make a better blank, right? You could be that person. You just have to hear yourself say those words and identify that you know the need and then start from there. Look it up, see if it exists. If not, fix it. Nice. Steven, uh, I think we're going to wrap up here. you have anything you want to say in closing? 
I just cannot thank Laura enough. She's been so kind with her time, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, if if you haven't seen her interview on InventRight TV, please go to it. She's actually, we, I think we have three um, interviews with Laura. She's been so helpful giving that information out to everyone. Laura, you're really a giving person, and I cannot thank you enough. Oh, thank you so much. You're very sweet. I like the, I love having the opportunity. It's, you know, it's great to, I know how hard it is to get somebody to help you. So the last thing I want to do is not to share this information. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for giving back to the inventor community and, and you're truly inspirational. I, I don't have time to read all these thank yous, but I will send them to you. But inspirational is something that a lot of people wrote. So oh, you've got you. an amazing story and you're an amazing person. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you guys so much. And thank you for everything you're doing. Okay. Good night, everybody. Take care and keep inventing. Good night, everybody.